0: Fire and magma explode out of the battlefield, sending tens of bodies into the sky and off to the side as easily as the rubble it produced. Sounds of war mute for a minute as you recover from the sound of the explosion. Steel echoing on steel fades up as you center yourself and regain your bearings. Then without warning, a flaming whip crushes a charging platoon to your left. Even though it's 20 meters away, the heat still stings your cheek. And only as the creature is pulling the whip back does the crack of thunder from the initial strike resonate out. The hulking beast cracks its neck and stretches its huge wings before raising the sword in its other hand to the sky. A bolt of lightning strikes the gigantic blade and quickly dances down the hilt before crackling across the metal surface. You knew it was going to be a difficult siege, but a bailer now blocks your way, one of the generals of the abyss. The scale of this battle has just tipped drastically, and not in your favor. You take another breath in, and continue to try and center yourself. You are absolutely exhausted and unsure how many spells you have the energy left to cast. Your allies are scattered across the front line, the fighter leaving his troops against a battalion of Bulgura and Kazma, the cleric healing your wounded and changing the landscape to the best of his ability. The rogue is nowhere to be found as usual, but... You know in your heart that she's killing someone or something important. That really just leaves you. You Drop your head back and look at the sky and take another deep breath, tightening the grip on your sword and staff, before setting off at a run towards this colossal fiend. And then a huge icicle pierces the ground feet from the bailer before it can unleash another concussive strike of its whip. Two alabaster fists erupt from the icicle and quickly wrap their hands around the neck of the demon. The rest of the pale creature follows the fists out of the ice, revealing short black hair, dead blue eyes, and a distinct lack of armor. The Empyrean, son of a god, has come to your aid. Maybe the Cleric is on to something. Maybe it's not such a bad idea to curry the favor of gods. Hey there, creatures, and welcome to Encounter This. A podcast exploration of the creatures from Dungeons & Dragons and the lore that surrounds them.
1: Hello, all walks of life and everything in between. Can you have in between of all all, all walks of life? I don't think so. Uh, But you're all included to this new, beautiful episode of Encounter This. You're losing it already. (laughs) I wasn't... I didn't have anything prepared. Can you tell? <laughs> uh... <laughs> uh... James, the smell of burning animal and vegetable flesh, kid, will be taking us through our newest creature, uh, known as the Empyrean, or Empyreans. Uh, I am, of course, his co-host, Freeman Black Cloak. Iston, I almost said kid. Uh, <laughs> But if you want to follow along, you can open up your master manual on page 130 for this creature that I know, I honestly absolutely nothing about. Uh, So hit us up, James. What's the deal? Well,
0: uh, first and foremost, I also knew next to nothing about going into this. I know they look kind of goofy and that they were celestials. And that was the extent of my knowledge before this research.
1: Sure. Uh can we touch on the artwork right away? Um Yeah, we absolutely can. Yeah. Is there there's, uh, only one? <laughs> there's,
0: <laughs> there's only one? There's there's only one. Uh so it's just this big uh beefy muscle boy whose top is way out of proportion with his bottom. Mm-hmm. Um like those those legs do not look like they could support that torso. Uh
1: I agree. Uh and um and uh he uh he kind of just looks like a really poor an old video game sprite from, from an old video game or something. It just looks like a like a bad CGI.
0: Yeah, he looks like a like a zombie from a Castlevania game or something.
1: <laughs> totally. Yeah. Just super pale, entirely too muscular, out of proportion. Yes. Yeah. He's he's like a he's like a ghost white Hercules. And probably the single worst pose we've ever seen. <laughs> it is kinda weird, isn't it? What's he doing? It doesn't make any sense. I think he he's arms- showboating. Is but he?
0: <laughs> yeah, I well, I mean, if if he is in fact showboating, it makes sense, and we'll we'll get to that when we get to the stat block. But uh,
1: sure, okay. <laughs> but he's just he's just like arms arms spread, uh, massive stone hammer in one hand and nothing in the other, just like just fists made, um, yeah. spreading his arms and muscles. I guess it's
0: yeah, yeah. one single pauldron, very gladiatorial.
1: Yeah, uh, greaves, van braces, then that's that's it. And that sweet, sweet uh, WWE belt. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Can't can't forget that. <laughs> Got to protect that belly button.
0: <laughs> Ridiculous. All right. So Empyreans uh, for the uninitiated are children of the gods of the upper planes. So that's everything from Arcadia to Ysgard and everything in between. If it's in a positive plane and a set of gods have offspring, they are known as Empyreans.
1: Oh wow, that's like. Yeah. That's big right out of the gate. Oh, yeah. Anything from the positive plane, if they if they bump uglies, they get one of these. Yep, pretty so much. There so must, there must be loads of them then. <laughs> uh, there are a lot of them, yeah. So okay. they, uh,
0: they populate most of those um, upper planes, but there are some in other places. Like you said, when we looked at the artwork, they are huge beings. They are statue-like with pale skin. They are described in the Monster Manual as the manifestation of beauty, which is, I don't know, empirically not true?
1: Um (laughs) Is it, uh, are are they just simply symmetrical and that's why they're beautiful. <laughs> I think that's probably
0: it and that weird flat black shag haircut that's that's yeah. got something to do with it, I'm sure.
1: So they're like they're like bland beautiful like like every uh, male character on a CTV show. Yeah, they're they're <laughs> marble is essentially what they are. Yeah, baby-faced and uh, passively and kind of boringly handsome.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and they never age, which is wild. Mm,
1: okay. Never age. Time means never to to them. Okay.
0: Yeah, that is correct. But they are capable of incredible mood swings so strong that it can change the environment around them. So if they're in a good mood, the sun will be extra radiant. Birds will sing. Small animals will play. But if they're in a, in, a, in a bleak or dour mood, everything from wilting flowers to salt rain to even dying wildlife will encircle them
1: oh Now is that the case wherever they are? Do you know? Is it or is that just in those in those upper planes, or is it in the material world as well?
0: I believe this is specifically in the material world. I'm not hundred okay. percent sure that they can affect the other uh, planes around them, but okay. it's not specific. We're looking at about a half page worth of lore total. Uh, for these guys.
1: I, I think it would make sense that they, you know, you know, the uh, other planes, these upper planes or positive planes, would be a little more, you know, set in stone, so to speak, whereas the material planes are a little more manipulated.
0: Yeah, slightly more resilient to the mood swing of children. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. so I like the, I, right out of the gate, I like the idea of, of them affecting the material plane in this way only. But yeah, yeah I one. do too.
0: Yeah. Uh, they are known as benevolent creatures, though. they are They're big, they're from the good planes, so they tend to be pretty chill uh mm-hmm. by all accounts in their native planes. however they can be corrupted uh by visits to the lower planes, or via curse or the wish of a god or the wish spell or, or what have you but it, it can corrupt an empyrean and if it is afflicted it is no longer allowed to live in the upper planes, and it is banished to the material plane okay so if uh, if the gods get unruly children it's our problem all of a sudden <laughs> Typical
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah Yeah
0: And since they never age uh, They're notoriously difficult To deal with but they can in fact Be killed
1: Thank goodness, thank the gods Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Their their foresight has given us so many Favors Yeah <laughs> Uh, because of their agelessness, they tend to overlook things like death and dying, so they tend to recklessly charge into combat if they're um, confronted. Sure. They are, however, very, very powerful so they can back this up uh, pretty mightily, actually.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's,
0: yeah. That's exciting. It's, yeah, it's wild. Um, they if they're if If they happen to be killed on the material plane... They can be resurrected by one of its parents in, it, in its home plane, so like there's no no need for them to die forever. They can just be brought back by mommy and daddy, unless they have a reason not to. So they will not. They the parents and the gods tend to not bring corrupted or accursed Imperians back because the theory is that they'll bring that curse or that that darkness back to life with them, and then they'll just mm-hmm. same same cycle, new day, right? And that's that's it. That's the five e lore on Imperians
1: oh okay they're, so they're they're ch- they're childrens of they're children's of of uh positive gods and they're moody as fuck and they live or they don't age and't live forever but they don't age and that's it. <laughs> That's, that's pretty much it no other details eh
0: <laughs> none I'm, t- I'm telling you they only exist in 5e and there's only a half page of lore so like this mm-hmm. is it's i I'm right. <laughs> getting this this first eight minutes has been a stretch for me
1: <laughs> all right I can't I can't I actually now I'm excited for the stat block because I wanted to see how uh how much more it tells or less it tells than than the actual lore so that'll be fun
0: cool uh just just out of curiosity do you want to make a prediction for their CR or do you know that already
1: I don't know it because I, I know nothing about these guys. Um, I would, I don't know, I uh, feel like track record-wise, um, uh, especially for the minimal lore, like, you know, I want to give them a high CR because they seem, a high-ish CR, I should say, because uh, they seem to imply that they're very powerful, they're very large and they're very powerful and they are the children of gods. But, you know, I don't want to go too, too high either. So I, I would kind of almost get into the, Maybe thirteen to fourteen range. Okay, uh, sit on that. Sit, uh, okay. pick
0: one of those numbers and, and sit on that. and we'll, sure. we'll play this game.
1: Yeah. Okay. It's, just, it's their it's their uh, sort of <laughs> their moody, temperamentalness that makes me feel like they're they're not like godlike creatures necessarily. You know, yeah. They're they're you know, they're they're, they're uh, brazen and full of hubris, but like you know, powerful, but not like not actual gods. That's where. Yeah.
0: Fair enough. Uh, we do have one honorable mention from 5th edition, of course. They are an Empyrean called Nalkara. Uh, this one is identified as female, and they owed a favor to our old friend halister Blackcloak from the Undermountain series of games, or the Waterdeep uh, Dungeon of the Mad Mage.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. I remember talking about him at one point. I can't remember where, but he's a big deal, isn't he, Hallister?
0: He's a huge deal in d d yeah. He's the mm-hmm. villain from the, the entire Under Mountain series of video games from the right. 90s, as well as the villain for uh, the Waterdeep Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Cool. Um, he's cool, like cool. one of the dark magicians, and I believe mm-hmm. we talked about him in, I want to say Displacer Beast, but I don't think it was.
1: Yeah, it's possible. It's, it's at least.
0: Oh, he had, that, he had the named Gelatinous Cube, I think.
1: Oh, was it? Yeah. Because there there was at least one other creature that I covered that also appeared in the Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Right. um it was like oh in one of the levels this thing does this and it's because of Halaster but i cannot for the life of me remember but we've probably both touched on it already at some point
0: yeah yeah i think so um but i'm not gonna go any further uh in into it than just sure. there is an empyrean that appears because it is a pretty cool adventure and after we've talked about it so much i think i want to run it or play it um just because it seems to touch on all the D classics like it seems yeah. to be kind of a showcase
1: i feel like uh, it, you know uh playing D 5e at this point that's what i would want to do is a is a dungeon dive i want to do a proper mega dungeon if i'm if i'm playing um because there's like less uh pressure to remember a broad complicated story and it's a little bit more moment to moment and you have like mm-hmm. subtle things that build up you know as a general rule i i find with with mega dungeons and i think that's what i would like as a player um as a as a DM, I'm, I'm on the total opposite end, but uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, I uh, but I love um, but I love the idea of of playing a mega dungeon where just every level gets a little more crazy, and it's a little like little little microcosms of of, of uh, story, you know. I I can fuck with running this. Yeah, fuck yeah.
0: Um, back to the topic at hand, we have exactly one fun fact about imperience and that is the root of the word.
1: <laughs> okay let's say if it's, if it's a fun fact if it's fun enough all you need is one right
0: that's fair yeah. <laughs> um, this is not that fun damn <laughs> Empyrema and empiromatic refer to the smell of burning vegetable flesh or animal flesh
1: oh okay so
0: when you when you get like the maillard reaction when you're cooking that smell is uh is an em- empirima yeah, that's that's the process.
1: It's like pneumatic, but with two extra, or, two or three extra syllables. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. And then we're going to get into some uh, real stretched cultural lore here. Um, so the word Empyrean comes from the medieval Latin imperius, which is derived from the ancient Greek Empyros, meaning in or on the fire.
1: Oh, okay. That lines right up with that fun fact, which is pretty cool
0: yeah yeah i like that um so the empyrean in christian mythology was the name of the firmament which is a fancy name for a glass orb that capital g god put uh used to divide the earth into uh into the primal sea into two parts to make land on the second day i fucked that up i know i fucked that up don't come at me i don't give a shit (laughs) Uh, okay
1: so wait hold on what
0: (laughs) Okay, so capital G God from Christian mythology yeah. used, used a glass orb to separate the primal sea into two parts to make land, sea, and sky somehow.
1: Uh, I thought he was omnipotent. Why doesn't he need a glass orb?
0: <laughs> I don't know. But the glass orb is called the firmament, uh, and the stuff that lives on – and and then part of the firmament is Empyrean. So, like, the I think the original name for heaven is Imperia or Empyrean.
1: Oh, okay. Right. Sure. Um that actually, that actually would be pretty cool. I think, sort of. Um, but that is that is a weird fact <laughs> to get my head around. Um, yeah, <laughs> sure. That's a mo- yeah. Okay, I, I'm, uh, I'm with you. Question mark.
0: Okay, and then in some of the earlier text, it is the Imperia is said to be the place where where capital G God's house is. And that's where all the celestial beings that are so divine, they're made up of pure light and are the source of creation. That's where they all chill is in Imperia. And then heaven is somewhere else. Uh, oh. This, oh, this is okay. where Dante visits God at the end of Paradiso is a place it's, called Im- Imperium.
1: Oh, Imperium. OK. Gotcha. So it's like so the it's highest like point a, in
0: heaven, I guess.
1: And, but it's not necessarily where God resides, but it's where you might encounter him or her or them.
0: According to Dante that's where he lives that's where his house is um, oh, okay. according to uh, the Bible if I if I did by reading appropriately he just has a golden throne in heaven and that's where he's surrounded by angels and later on they shoehorn in that good people go to heaven um, apparently that wasn't part of the deal in in the earlier text. I have no doubt. <laughs> yeah. Again, I, I did some very sparse research. I'm not a I'm not a theologian. I'm not a hagiologist. I don't
1: I don't yeah. I don't know. I don't don't at me. <laughs> not on this one. We-
0: <laughs> yeah. You you want an encounter podcast about Jesus? Go find Encounter. <laughs> not Encounter. This wrong show.
1: Go find our main rival.
0: <laughs> yeah, they are a show about Jesus and encounters yeah. with him. Uh, speaking of the Son of God, since the Empyreans are children of gods, I think the closest cultural representation is actually Jesus. Therefore, all Empyreans are just a buff white Jesus. Mm. Um, that's that's kind of what I pulled out of this is that yeah. this whole race is just jacked white Jesus. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I uh, never thought I'd hear, uh, at least you say those words, jacked white Jesus, <laughs> a whole slew of jacked white Jesus. You yeah, it's the whole this. race
0: of jacked white Jesus. <laughs> Maybe. Um,
1: uh, <laughs> you, you know, I'm, th- I, I'm, I'm inclined to think, uh, given the uh, gross amount of interpretation over many, many people and years and centuries and millennia, uh, is that um, the, the, these things remind me more of, it, it's the, uh, Without getting hung up on the children aspect, uh, they sort of just remind me of angels, but you know, not the winged, you know, sort of warrior creatures, but rather maybe a lesser version of. And I know those are uh, those are separate in in D anD D the Deva and that sort of thing, but uh, I kind of feel like these seem similar to you know uh, cousins thereof,
0: right? And you, I think you're right. Um, I actually chased down because uh, the, the word Empyrean comes from Empyros, which is a Greek word. I chased down um, the Titans from Greek mythology because I think this is probably hmm. their closest analog in our culture.
1: Yeah, that, that, that would make sense. Yes.
0: Yeah, so the Titans are born from the primordials uh, Uranus and Gaia representing sky and earth. So they have a generation of titans known as uh, the the first generation, which include uh, titans like Kronos and Rhea and and a whole bunch of others. But mm-hmm. then they have a bunch of children known as the Olympians. The Olympians then have interbreed themselves uh, between the first and second generation and have a third generation of purebred gods that aren't like proper gods that still live on olympus but aren't you know they don't hang with like zeus and neptune and them sure the
1: lower you, class <laughs> kind of yeah uh so we get Ares yeah. and hephaestus from that which is zeus, okay.
0: which are zeus's children with hera
1: yeah and a- i mean Ares was the god of war right and was Hephaestus yeah. like uh a blacksmith or something like that is yeah he was right the smith that? god the god yeah, of creation okay. um yeah.
0: vulcan is the roman analog mm-hmm and then with uh, Zeus, with uh, Leto, who is a is a product of the second generation of um, Titans, uh, we get Apollo and Artemis, uh, the god of the hunt and the god of speed and messages. I think Apollo is. I don't, yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. Um, so we have this second generation of of deities, and I think they more accurately reflect what Empyreans are. Not this. Not the Titans were where you know are the olympians come from not the first generation of olympians but the second generation of olympians i think that's probably as close as we're going to get to a proper Empyrean. this is normally where we would compare similarities and differences and since they don't exist in our current culture and they're not a realm they are a people um i i have no differences or similarities to dispute because they are so above and they're so far removed from what's actually portrayed in culture as totally. Imperium.
1: Like, yeah. I, I I feel like, uh, I mean, depending on the stat block, I, uh, I might have some thoughts about, you know, homebrew stuff, especially regarding my thoughts on uh, how that might compare to, say, uh, Angels or Deva or what have you. I'm I'm excited to get to the stat block. I think I think it's,
0: <laughs> I'm excited to hear what you have to say about what you were going to say after
1: you okay. changed your mind. <laughs> Whew, yeah. what, a, what a sentence. Uh <laughs> yeah yeah yeah
0: uh but before we scroll down in the document uh just a big shout out to uh black i am drinking one today because it's like 30 fucking degrees out and i hate it so i'm in the dark drinking a dark beer
1: and i love it i mean i i think you and i are on the same page and not everyone is summer can go fuck itself <laughs> no no encounter this summer can go fuck itself no i I, I don't i don't agree with that uh we are not on the same page on how we like our temperature uh in the room (laughs) that's for sure uh you like things extremely hot 10 degrees i no i don't don't. 10 degrees Uh, sorry uh but you like your beverages warm (laughs) yeah yeah not not
0: cold warm yeah. Um,
1: and uh, I'm somewhere in the middle, but I run really hot. I'm like I'm a human furnace. So when I hit the peak of summer, I, I struggle a bit. But I also despise the cold. It's why I left the east coast of Canada. I cannot handle the super right. cold. So uh, it, it's it's a tough battle for me. <laughs> um.
0: Yeah, I feel you. I'm I'm in the same boat. I moved here when I moved here. The average temperature in Vancouver was 15 uh, degrees yeah. Celsius. <laughs> um, in in the ten years that I've been up here, uh, here it's gone up to like. Like yeah. twenty,
1: yeah. <laughs> and people say climate change isn't real.
0: It's, <laughs> it's May and it's, it's twenty-two degrees outside, and I haven't seen rain <laughs> in a month. Seriously. Like,
1: but what, where we're on the same page is that, regardless of time of year, a good, a good proper stout is is a, a year-round thing. Um, it just is. Uh, there are some stouts that aren't, you know, imperial ones, high alcohol, a bit heavy, what have you, depending on the flavor profile. But a stout, a good proper stout, is. An all-around beer, at least in my opinion. I, I'm assuming you agree.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I could have a Guinness or a blackmail stout at any time of the day, any Absolute, day of absolutely. the week. Like, you'd sit me down at 5.30 in the morning with, with a plate of breakfast, which <laughs> I have done before in Scotland and had a Guinness. And it's yeah. just like, yeah, this is how I want to
1: start my misconception day. about stouts in that they are heavy and they're like a meal in and of its own, especially with Guinness. But it's just not true. They're light. They're fluffy uh and 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 they're, they're they just like yeah they, they don't really bog you down at all especially not in the same way as some, some you know no. higher alcohol beverages if you're drinking like a belgian double or a doppelbach like you know, and, uh, yeah and yeah day's it, over you can compare those to stouts you're wrong you're just wrong uh a russian imperial stout or something like that just no or a baltic porter not a thing a good like dry irish style or or, or a decent delicious milk stout like blackmail <laughs>
0: Yeah, and let's not leave out London porters.
1: Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You heard, you you heard it here from the beer nerds <laughs> at <laughs> at Encounter Beer.
0: Encounter Beer.
1: Uh, <laughs> add us in
0: the get get at us if you want that show. Um, I don't think you should, but if you want it, let us know. I don't mind drinking and talking to Freeman.
1: That would be a fun show. <laughs>
0: Okay, let's the the big reveal. What did you say you thought their CR was?
1: Uh, it's like thirteen, fourteen CR range is what I was guessing. All
0: right. Have you scrolled down? Have you have you spoiled it yet?
1: yeah, I, uh, I saw it.
0: Okay, they are CR twenty goddamn three. That is not a typo.
1: <laughs> wow, it's gotta be for something so obviously it's got has to be so powerful. There's no story. Like that's that's annoying. The the Kieran had like way more story, and it wasn't this high of a CR.
0: Right, they also exist in culture, though. <laughs>
1: right, <laughs> and the Tarasque, of course, the highest CR we will ever cover. Um, but it's like a joke creature in its own right. You know, it's it's a it's like practically an April Fool's joke for it to exist. And um, so you kind of like let that slide. But I mean, I can't I can't recall to my head if we've covered something as high of a CR as this so far, other than the Tarasque. But like to have to have almost no story, like okay <laughs> take me through it <laughs> yep
0: 313 hit points Ooh, not small ac 22 natural armor mm-hmm. they are huge uh subtype titan like the tarrasque celestials and they this is the first creature we've had that gives us a percentage breakdown of their uh, alignment so they're 75 percent chaotic good but about 25 percent of them has succumbed to uh the lower planes or a curse and are are neutral evil
1: whoa okay so yeah that's that's very new is that literally in the stat block in the monster manual
0: yeah literally in the stat block yeah there are percentages
1: crazy um and that's not reflected in the story at all that's dumb <laughs> like why it is a little bit why wasn't that there okay
0: well they're they're prone to being banished or corrupted like it's it's
1: kind of there ah, not enough no, I, I agree with you completely. That could have at least added another quarter of a page.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think this should be a, a, a page character mm-hmm. or a page creature. But uh, they speak every language. They're straight up immune to uh, our physical, non magical damage. So bludgeoning, piercing, slashing. True sight 120 feet. Uh, do you want to give the people a quick refresher
1: on true sight? Uh, I mean, you essentially can see anything, right? You can see through invisibility. Um, you can see, uh, I, I guess, uh, I would assume you still are blocked by say terrain issues. Like you can't just see through rock or some such. I could be wrong about that. I don't think we ever covered it, but
0: we did in our first ever bonus episode, did we? but I don't remember <laughs> okay. it. That's why I asked you to do the refresher.
1: I mean, I, I, I off the top of my head, in essence, you can see through anything that's, uh, concealing you, especially magically. Um, or, or, uh, whether that's like via sound or smell or sight, anything that's like hampering your, uh, your ability to be seen via magic, it's just going to cut right through it. But if you're still behind a wall, they don't just have like, you know, Superman see through x-ray vision or anything like that.
0: As far as I know, that's correct. Yeah. They can also detect illusions and uh, perceive mm. original forms of shape changers.
1: That's a good point too. Yeah, anything that's like you know altered uh, visual uh, perceptions—not not just making you invisible, but like changing the actual physicality. Yep. So I mean, not a not powerful mechanic at all. <laughs> it's yeah, you're <laughs> yeah, not you're right. not you're not deceiving these guys uh, in any way, or sneaking up yeah. on them in any no way. way. Uh, they have a few abilities.
0: Uh, the first is my least favorite, but it's not bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is innate spellcasting, which they have a plus 15 to hit, and their DC is 23, which is kind of low. Yeah. Um, but at will, they can cast Greater Restoration, Pass Without a Trace, Water Breathing, or Water Walk. And then once per day, they can do Commune, Dispel Good and Evil, Earthquake, Firestorm, or Plane Shift on themselves. Mm-hmm. So those those are some pretty heavy hitters.
1: Yeah. Especially earthquake, I think earthquake and firestorm. They're going to be big hits.
0: But yeah, uh, firestorm is seven d ten on a on a mm, failed deck save. Yeah. So like the range is one hundred and fifty feet, which is oh
1: fucking insane. <laughs> it's larger than its true sight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is.
0: They have legendary resistances, which I think is your least favorite oh, ability.
1: I, f- I fucking hate it. It's 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 yeah. like it's. I hate magic resistance and then leg- legendary resistance is literally just double the hate. It's just stupid. It's just, it's a lazy mechanic. It's boring. So
0: quick refresher, legendary resistance is this one is three per day. They can just choose to succeed on a save period.
1: And the, the, the issue I have with this, cause we, we've encountered it before. I can't remember when, and I'm quite sure we've covered it on this podcast is that uh, it was, it was the difference, the difference of like the, the DM asking what, uh spell was cast and it was like i i think i had cast frostbite which is a cantrip and the dm asked what what spell it was and then decided not to use legendary resistance because it was a weak spell and we had this debate about how fair that was it's like no do they decide before the casting or as the thing is being cast like that was like a this level of metagaming that i had just an incredible issue with it's just not fair it's just, it's a silly lazy mechanic and the fact that the DM would be like eh whatever like oh you're using that Leweak spell I just won't bother then like I just uh I didn't I didn't agree with it I'll, I'll just waste your big spells fuck you like you know yeah
0: one of the things I like is as someone who, who's currently playing a spellcaster in one of our longer games
1: I, I'll, I'll I
0: tend to ask you to roll the save first right you know, hey, roll a reflex save or roll a will save, and then I'll reveal what the spell is. So that kind of supersedes your ability to choose. Like, right. You know, I'm not going to be like, hey, I'm, I'm casting Firestorm. Roll me a dex
1: save. I'll just be like, okay, can you make a dex save? And that that's the appropriate order of operations, in my opinion, because that, that's when I would go, you know what? Uh, mm, you know what? I'm, I'm going to use my legendary resistance now and just succeed. And you'd be like, okay. Yeah. Uh, and then you, don't, you don't even have to re- reveal what it was at that point. But I, I think that's the most appropriate immersion-based way of of playing without the metagaming. So. Yeah, I agree completely.
0: Uh, speaking of magic resistance, they have uh, magic resistance. So even if they don't choose to just succeed, they have advantage on those saves.
1: I'm just shaking my head now. Yeah. Big ol' <laughs> go fuck yourself. Big ol' don't give a fuck.
0: <laughs> yeah. And they're... Last ability is magical weapons, so their weapons and attacks are magical. Imagine that. Fun. Um, they do have some pretty hard hitting attacks, though.
1: Okay. So their their abilities are boring. Yeah. <laughs> What's their attacks?
0: <laughs> so their first attack is uh, just with their maul. That's that big fucking hammer they're carrying. Mm-hmm. That is a plus seventeen to hit and only ten foot reach with that, which I thought was weird because they're a huge creature, but I, mm. I guess it's ten feet from outside of their circle. Okay. So yeah. I don't I don't care for that but whatever. Like if you're fighting an Imperian you're done fucked up anyway.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I speak ever playing an evil party. <laughs> yeah, right.
0: Uh, so that they're all the 66 plus 10 bludgeoning so it it's not bad but it's not great. Uh, the kicker is that you are required to make a constitution save DC 15 or you are stunned until the end of the Empyrean's next turn.
1: Snap. Okay, so yeah. and it's stunned and deity isn't is no no slouch, right? Is it you just can't act?
0: Yeah, a stunned creature is incapacitated and they can't move or speak, or they can only speak. Okay. Uh, automatically fails strength and dex saves and attack rolls against the creature have advantage. So your next attack on it is going to have advantage. Right. Okay. Yeah, so they're, and then they have one more attack, which is uh, called Bolt. It is a ranged spell attack, which is, I I thought was kind of weird the way they put this together, but I I don't mind it. Uh, It is a 15 to hit, same as their spell casting. The range is 600 feet. Jesus. Yeah, same as the Longbow, uh, Longbow's max range. Uh, This does 76 instead of 6, but it, The Empyrean gets to choose what type of damage between acid, cold, fire, force, lightning, radiant, or thunder.
1: Wow. So they're like, they're just launching like a Zeus bolt, but with a custom damage type. Yep, pretty much. So right away, I would. I mean, I don't hate the fact that there are options, but I would customize my empyrean based on its parents and then obligate them to if not one uh, a, a more narrowed down uh, uh, number or types
0: yeah I, I i can i can agree with that
1: yeah um, i like that it's a wide range because it's just sort of assumed that these empyreans are like just the children of like loads of gods that are just intermingling and you know and having a having a good old time but um to give any one that wide range doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, it's to narrow it down means to give the creature you're running more story. So,
0: Yeah, I, I agree completely. Um, and because they're CR-23 and they're subtype Titan, they have three legendary actions. Holy shit. One of them is attack, so they can just make another attack.
1: And so uh, legendary actions are like any time someone else acts, they can just use one, right? That's that's the general rule. I believe
0: so. Um, I, they might have to be on your turn. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. But you have up to three points to spend per turn, mm-hmm. and they refresh at the beginning of the round or the beginning of that creature's next turn. Yeah. depends on what kind of DM you have. Right. So this costs one, and it's just they make an extra attack. So they could theoretically just make...
1: Three extra attacks in a round. Yeah.
0: The next one is bolster, which is all non-hostile creatures within hundred and twenty feet cannot be charmed or frightened, and they get advantage on their attacks and saves until the end of the Empyrean's next turn. So Ooh. Um, that's that's why I think he's in this like like bolstering pose in the five E art, which yeah. is just my way of excusing <laughs> whoever drew that.
1: Uh yeah, quite quite the apologist approach there. Um but that's actually, cool. that's not a bad mechanic because uh, it's kind of, de- it's really quite deadly in the fact that, you know, you're at, by the time you're fighting this creature, you're, you're going to be level 20 and, or, you know, or close to, and yep. to, at that point, you have loads at your disposal, especially spell casters um, when it comes to sort of uh, crowd control. And the fact that this creature can, after any other creature's turn bolster its foes and make them immune to charmed or frightened it's going to like just absolutely pull something out of uh the holster of, of a spellcaster um it's just going to uh, use ter- uh, that wrong the defra- I have no phrase for it it's on the tip of my tongue but I um I'm wording it poorly but you know it's it's just going to like really uh, hamper them in in their crowd control attempts guaranteed um, because like you know what what better way uh, that that ability assumes that this creature is coming along with others, and uh, what better way to increase your chances than hamper the you know, the ads as they say in and uh, an MMO RPG uh, or the, the additional creatures? Yeah, this this guy can just stop that from happening, which is pretty wild.
0: Yeah, so I, I mean, like there there isn't a whole lot of reason to forego using bolster every every single turn in my opinion. Right. Um even if you've only got one ally, it's it's going to help. Yeah.
1: Cannot be charmed or frightened. Like that's big. Yeah. The advantage is big on its own. Um but that 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 lack of like, you know, you can't do anything about my, you know, stop to stop my creatures other than physically stop them. If you can stun them or something like that go for it. But you can't affect their their mental status essentially.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and the final one it takes two actions and it's called Trembling Strike. So the Empyrean strikes the ground with its maul, and it's a. All creatures within a 60 foot uh, radius need to succeed on a DC 25 strength throw or be knocked prone. So that's fine. I don't know if it has two actions worth of um, effect for me, but I can, I, I, I can start to see where that becomes useful.
1: Mm hmm. So, so this is, this is, hmm. So, uh, just, uh, for clarification, this isn't that it attacks with its maul by striking the ground, but rather it is still in that legendary action category where it can just like a reactionary, you know, when someone attacks, just hit the ground. It's not part of their attack.
0: I, again, I'm, I cannot confirm or deny that legendary actions are reactions. Mm-hmm. I think they have to be done in your turn.
1: Yeah. Uh, no, so I'm quite sure that's not the case. I don't think they count as reactions, but I'm quite sure legendary reactions are uh, they only occur uh, they're activated by someone else having a turn uh, or like acting in some way. So they're not a reaction but like if, if you're facing this creature and you end your turn, it can then just interject with one of these at any time. Without costing any action economy other than its three legendary actions. Um, I'm, like, okay. I'm quite sure that's the case. It doesn't cost their reaction. It's not, not the same as an attack of opportunity or anything like that. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Sorry, I just looked it up and you're right. Uh, they can only be used at the end of another creature's turn. Right. Yeah. And they can only be used one at a time. So at the end of one creature's turn, it could use attack. At the end of another creature's turn, it could use bolster. And then at the end of another creature's turn, it could use attack again.
1: Yeah. Or, you know, uh, you know, almost, it's almost like best case scenario, especially if you're in, t- in relatively tight quarters, like, you know, end of one creature's turn, use Bolter, end of the next creature's turn, use Trampling Strike, and then have a chance of knocking everyone prone within 60 feet and just rinse repeat. And you would be an incredible force to reckon with. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, even. But if you don't go that route, like you, you could just like they don't have multi attack, which is pretty significant. Um, but that extra attack on the legendary action, you have to like sort of play that that economy game. Um, but you could really lay some damage in if you wanted. because you're looking at a possible four attacks per round, as uh, you know, which is much more than multi attack would ever offer, essentially. <laughs> um, but you, ha- it does, it does have. Come at some economical cost.
0: Yeah, especially that kind of uh, damage output too. Like that's yeah. that's pretty huge. Mm-hmm.
1: And it doesn't specify whether that attack is maul or bolt, does it?
0: No, it it just says makes another attack. So yeah. you could you know m- throw a bunch of bolts, and then if creatures are able to close that six hundred foot gap, you know you just start mm-hmm. laying out mauls.
1: Yeah, and you could you could kind of. Play the argument of, oh, can they bolt while holding a maul because a mall is a two-handed weapon, you know? Not
0: according to this artwork, it's not.
1: Oh, no? Yeah, that's true. Isn't that true? <laughs> so uh, maybe you can't. Never mind. <laughs> uh, the only thing I think I, these guys have it going against them is that by the time you hit level 20 or close to an AC-22, I mean, even for d d standards... That's not very high. Well,
0: they're huge, so I mean
1: Sure. But like that that makes them more likely to be in your space, but also more likely for you to be in their space. Like you're you're pretty much guaranteed to have a magic weapon at that point. Uh, so the their damage uh, resistances. If
0: you don't have negligible. a magic weapon by level twenty, yeah. <laughs> you need to talk to your DM.
1: Yeah, <laughs> their their damage resistance is negligible. They have no uh actual damage immunities, no condition immunities. Uh, themselves, yep. um, their HP is high, but but by but by it's level twenty, high. uh, it's not that high. It's just not that high. Not it's definitely not. I mean, these guys are powerful, but. It honestly looks to me like they would go down very quick, and maybe that plays into the uh, the reckless charge into combat um, part of the lore.
0: I think so. Um, I, I i like i like the stance that you've taken on these guys, uh, where you know you get to your party gets to level twenty and then they fight them. Mm-hmm. Um I, I I don't know what it's been lately in my life that has me fantasizing about like large warfare. Uh maybe it's Matt Coville or MCDM's new book uh coming down the pipeline pretty quickly, mm-hmm. Here Kingdoms and Warfare. But I've been fantasizing a lot about like large scale battles and how right. players would control those battles. You know what? It's probably the fact that I just got into Warhammer.
1: Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> that's probably what, would, what it is. I was about to say that. I was like, hey, you, you benign Warhammer. Is that, is that a thing? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's, that's probably what it is. Like being a general controlling, um, controlling the battlefield and seeing how mm-hmm. that goes. That, that's really been appealing to me lately to a level that it hasn't since I was a kid. Yeah. Um, to that point. Uh, and I know I said this in Owlbears and I'll probably say it in my next episode, but I think these are not villains. I think these are siege weapons to be used at the player's convenience. So I can see these like going up against a black tower and an army of hobgoblins Mm -hmm. that has a, a couple of ogres and, you know, maybe, maybe a demon, but you've got an Empyrean on your side and this thing fights Bilal as you, as you storm the castle or whatever.
1: Now, now for, for mechanical clarification, too, you say part of a siege, but you don't mean – you not necessarily a siege weapon. So, like, in, in the fact that they don't have the siege monster ability. So, like, they're not doing double damage to structures like a Tarrasque or some of the other creatures we covered would do. Right. Yeah, yeah. But they would be almost essential to uh, a proper, like – army siege like they're 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 less focused on the actual structures but rather the the hordes of enemies that they would face
0: yeah so when i see things like trembling strike or like mm. 600 foot range on that bolts like i i think these guys are you know they're they're your elites they're your your your, your big bad boys right and they they you know, you've got one of them in your army that fights a pit fiend for or distracts a pit fiend for you or, or what have you. But I, I see them being on the side of the PCs and maybe, maybe a god from the Beastlands owes them a favor or something like that.
1: Right. Uh, totally. I, I could see that. Actually, I, I definitely did not think of that at all. But I like it. I like it a lot. I think it, it suits, especially with Trembling Strike, where they could just cripple hordes of enemies
0: right and earthquake firestorm yeah, right straight up dispel good and evil like mm-hmm. fuck pass without a trace like mm-hmm. like the, these things lead themselves to warfare in my mind yeah um, and and again you know that's just where my brain's been at the last couple of months building my armies for for yeah. warhammer
1: and what's really cool is that they give you that um that differentiation in alignment or it fits both. Like they could be chaotic good, they could be neutral evil. You know, neutral evil they, they're recruitable for a cause. Who cares? They're a mercenary. Chaotic good, like they are there for the cause, but don't mind causing mayhem. Um, you know, very yeah, very yeah. light versions of those alignments, but you know, uh, they fit into both sides of the same conflict. You know, uh, with it with the same purpose and role. And I think that's really cool.
0: Yeah, so as much as they're they have a stat block in their character, I actually see them as being more of like a set piece. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I never watched Game of Thrones, but I imagine like this would be like a like a dragon showing up in that. <laughs> that sh- I think that show had dragons, right?
1: Yeah, it does have dragons, uh, and they're a big part. But you know, that's the part that gl- that show glossed over uh, to too nonchalantly was actual giants in the show which were the fucking coolest things uh they existed and you saw they saw them very seldom and it, it gave a uh, this extra like sort of like oh what the fuck like wh- what's gonna happen um and they were incredibly useful and powerful uh, uh they obviously didn't have any godlike or or uh sort of uh, mystical powers but they were forces to be reckoned with to say the least uh so when one went down your your mind was kind of blown um so uh you're you're not incorrect in referencing game of thrones but dragons were not the one they literally have giants in there and and they're really fucking cool and super rare uh so like somewhere in between i suppose
0: yeah i i mean i i don't i don't no, I just yeah. like like I imagine that when a dragon showed up it blew their budget for the week, you know? Like that's <laughs> definitely That's yes. kind of how I see these guys is like like when they show up in a TV show they're they're not there to to be the big bad, they're there to be a set piece. They're they're a spectacle. Right. And I think that's that's probably how they should be used in 5E, but mm-hmm. I I cannot you know, I'm I'm not DMing your table, but when sure. Kingdoms and Warfare comes out and and you know we get we get to gather in person again. I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna do something, whether it's a one shot or you know a couple of weeks in a row where we take a break from Frost and we just do something like huge, like you guys feel like actual yeah. gods zipping yeah. around a battlefield.
1: Yeah, I'd be down for that. You know, there's a part of me that's uh, not okay, not 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 interested, but a bit uh, wary about the large scale format. Um, and it's because I, uh, when you think about like, you know, the the whole controlling of the battlefield from this sort of like general or perspective, I, uh, it just makes me think of an RTS, like Starcraft or the original Warcraft games, uh, and those, those sorts of things. And they are not in my wheelhouse. I don't like them. I I appreciate the stories and the concept, but like, they've never been my, my shtick and I'm just not, not into it. Um, but I love... Uh, things like Civilization, where it's a little bit more resource management. So a game uh, like uh, I haven't played, I still have not played Settlers of Catan. I'm kind of kicking myself for it, but I've heard it's like really awesome and it's the sort of thing that I would be into. Um, but I don't like this sort of real-time strategy approach when it comes to a video game specifically. Uh, but I think I would perhaps be a little more inclined to give it a go as a tabletop rpg so maybe you know doing a one-off or something like that for like a warhammer based sort of system i think i would have a lot of fun with i don't want to like dive myself into it and like run it and dm it or whatever but i think it would be a lot of fun to like give it a go as like a tabletop experience
0: so in Kingdoms and Warfare, there, w- there will be a couple of adventures included uh, mm-hmm. to go with those rules, and they're just 5e supplements, so they should be pretty easy to tack on. Cool. Um, and I think that's probably how I would do it.
1: Well, yeah, uh, so homebrew-wise for these guys, I mean, what you've said so far and and your uh, how you would use them... You know, in and, and that Siege sort of grand scale way, I, I feel like that's how I would too. Um, I kind of like it. Uh, as I said before, I'm inclined to think of them as like cousins of angels. But because we haven't covered angels and I've definitely not done much research, at least not for a while on, on them in 5e, uh, I don't know how I would incorporate them in that cousinhood. C- cousinhood? Is that a word? um family i think is the word you're looking for sure <laughs> that seems easier uh, <laughs> uh but it makes me want to maybe think about doing angels soon um <laughs>
0: yeah i mean why not knock out the only four celestial creatures <laughs>
1: just get them done <laughs> there really ain't many other
0: no i think there's a couple more um i think the unicorn and the um the one that the Kyrene were also Celestials, and mm-hmm. I yep. think maybe the Coadle was a Celestial.
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah,
0: uh, but that's that's pretty much that's pretty much it, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, I don't I don't think I'd change anything about these guys. Honestly, I think it's just it's it uh, you, with a CR this high, you want to be careful how you use them. I think that's that's pretty obvious for sure.
1: Uh, that's almost probably almost uh, another reason why they would fit more of a siege, big war scenario. Because a four person party against one of these is, even at level twenty or, or close to, whew, you know, it could be extremely dangerous. It's you know, it's it's almost this sort of inverse version of you know running the cure and you're like you know this this monster is clearly not meant for combat it's meant for interaction it just happens to have yeah. all of these spells but this thing is like you know maybe a bit more meant for combat but not necessarily for direct combat uh, something a little bit more large and uh fantastical and, and a grander scale
0: yeah i think this thing could roll a party of four level 20s but i don't think it I, I don't think that's likely. I think mm-hmm. I think it's definitely possible, but I think with such low AC and uh, the lack of uh, condition immunities and, and damage resistances, like you touched upon, I think it's more likely that the party's going to come out on top. Yeah. Um, time, you know, yeah. level 20 barbarian is going to get at least three attacks, and that's going to take off probably a third of its HP. Like, yeah. It's only 300.
1: Right. And the like worst case scenario for the barbarian is that this creature is going to bypass its it's rage resistances like that's about it you know (laughs) but the barbarians just is a beast it's not gonna it's not gonna worry about legendary resistance it's not gonna worry about magic resistance it's maybe gonna worry about it's innate spells maybe worry about like um i mean being stunned like because that's a con save not a strength save that's where they get their their um their bonuses right based on strength not con
0: right but if you're playing a fucking level 20 barbarian you should
1: have right big
0: big con
1: but even if they do their trembling strike it's a that's a strength save so they're gonna have advantage on that you know uh barbarians are not gonna flinch too much at this creature which is actually oddly appropriate i feel like um yeah i I agree completely yeah yeah Um, i mean all in all this, this is pretty neat creature uh, we don't have a lot, yeah. a lot of negative things to say. <laughs> um. uh,
0: I don't have anything negative to yeah. say, really. Um, I, I really look forward to how they expand the lore in either coming editions or coming books. Because yeah. the, this creature is ripe for expansion. And I know 5e's kind of shied away from doing planar stuff. They've done alternate dimension stuff. Mm-hmm. But they haven't really touched on anything outside of the material plane, which obviously kind of upsets us because we're i know you're a planescape guy and obviously <laughs> all i want to do is learn more about arcadia and mount
1: celestia right and, you know, beastlands and shit <laughs> like that but
0: the information is out there if you want it listeners so yeah it would be nice to have worse.
1: more story more lore but otherwise pretty pretty all right
0: yeah um so i guess uh have have any of you used an empyrean how i uh, i would i would fucking kill to know how you use one of these guys that'd be fantastic. Um, and you can reach us on Twitter or Facebook at EncounterPod. Uh, you can reach us on Facebook. Inst- uh, you can find us on Instagram at Encounter.Pod. Uh, you can find any of our past episodes on our home on the web at EncounterThis.ca. If you like this episode and you want to hear more or you want to get directly direct contact to us, you want to find out how I would use this as a siege, how I would kind of set up that battle, what it would look like or... I don't know, whatever Freeman's got. Um, you can uh, you can donate to us on Patreon at patreon.com backslash encounter Pod. $1 a month will get you access to a private Discord where we are available damn near 24 hours a day, even though we aren't active, very active there. We are always around. Then five dollars a month will get you that, as well as a handwritten thank you letter and access to the show notes that we use to produce these episodes. And for ten dollars a month, you can suggest a creature if you want us to do angels sooner rather than later. It is right there for you. There are some higher tiers that include getting to play in a private game with us once per year and some other stuff. If you want to go take a look, you're you're more than welcome to. But if you could, please reach and review on your platform of choice because it really really helps new eyes see us uh even even through google like if you just google dnd podcasts having more reviews on the apple store or the google play store will push us up in that listing so that is it would mean the absolute world to us and it would only take you five or six seconds out of your day but thank you so so much for listening to Empyrean's episode 49 of Encounter This. Can you fucking believe we've been doing this for a year and a half already?
1: Um... Yes? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, cool. it, it, time has flown, but it's also just... It's fun, so I'm not surprised we've continued so yeah you know. I can't
0: believe we got an hour out of this fucking creature
1: <laughs> I was a page of lore and an hour of bullshit <laughs> we were at the 20 minute mark I was like man we're almost done and then I, yeah. you know. <laughs> and then then Definitely we not. happened yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally And uh, we will see
0: you in two weeks for an extra special episode 50 that's going to deviate from the format just a tiny bit, but we think you're going to enjoy it just as much. So thank you for making it through 49 episodes, you lovely creatures, you, and we will see you or talk at your ear holes in two (laughs) weeks.
1: (laughs) And if you learned anything from this episode, uh, steer away from Imperial and go metric. Can't argue that. <laughs> You're welcome. Signing off. This is this is this is Freeman Eiston. <laughs>